0: Hello and welcome to Northview. My name is Danae and I'm the youth pastor at the Mission Campus which is open for on-site services, as well as the Downthroad campus. I was able to attend our church gathering last weekend, and it was so good to come together with other believers and stand and worship together in the same room to hear more voices than just mine and my husband's in our living room. So we wanna encourage you, if you wanna come to our on-site services, they are 50 people, they are small and different, but so good. So if you would like to attend one of our on-site services, you must register and you can do that by either going on the website or giving our Downs Road office a call. Registration opens on Mondays at 7 p.m. and we're open until we're full. If you check back and it seems full at the beginning of the week, make sure you look back on Friday or Saturday because spots may have come open. We are beginning a new summer sermon series today called The Wise and the Witless, where we'll be walking through and exploring some passages in Proverbs. Our pastors have also put together a devotional to lead you through deeper reflection and prayer throughout the week, and you can find that online at northview.org. If you've got little ones running around right now, we wanna remind you that we have a children's service available and we hope that you'll watch it together as a family. And now we have an exciting announcement. Most of you know that Andy Steiger has transitioned to working full time for Apologetics Canada. And today we get to introduce you to our new Young Adults Pastor, Vin Doan. Welcome here, Vin. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: For those who don't know me, I'm Vin. I'm the new Young Adults Pastor here. I'm so excited to be here. And for those of you who are wondering the words that are coming out of my mouth, you are correct. My accent is from Quebec. So Laura and I, my wife and I, we are so pumped to join Northview. And for my two children who were still wondering, what is that smell wafting in the air here in Abbott? We,
0: we are all still wondering what that smell is, uh, but it is so good to have you join us. And now we're gonna transition into a time of worship with Andrew and Shelby. So Vin, would you open our service in prayer?
1: Absolutely, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you just great thanks for this wonderful day. We want to thank you that you've been preparing our hearts, I you know, from the very morning, from this very moment to the moments to come. And so continue with our mind and with our hearts to engage with you in worship at this time. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
2: will bow down every chain will break as broken hearts declare his grave for who can stop the Lord in Revelation 21 as he talks about the, his vision of the new city coming down out of heaven from God. He says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This song is about how God is is making everything new and that everything will be made new. It's about how God is taking mourning and turning it into dancing and he's making dead things come to life.
0: our new summer sermon series with Pastor Greg today. So if you have a Bible, you can open it to Proverbs chapter one.
3: Welcome here. Uh, Let me start by naming the elephant in the room. I am not sitting at the preacher desk in the corner of our church. I am actually in one of our rooms with real people that are here uh, for me while I'm preaching the sermon. And uh, it's actually our hope that you are also with real people. Uh, maybe in your house uh, with some friends in your living room. Maybe you're in a backyard watching this at a at a bit of a watch party, uh, watching the service together. Uh, we we think church is always best when we're able to engage in God's word with other people, and so uh, hopefully you're doing that right now as well as we are here. Uh, we're starting our sermon series in the book of Proverbs. We are going to be looking through the book of Proverbs in the summer, and uh, we are. We live in a proverbial world. Uh, We know those little sayings that people usually will say when they say something like, you know what they say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, and the early bird gets the worm, and uh, necessity is the mother of invention, or uh, familiarity breeds contempt, but absence makes the heart grow fonder. And uh, we say these things, they're pithy, they, they can be corrective, they can be instructive, they can rebuke, they can instruct or train, they can do all kinds of things. And that's actually what we have in the Bible as well, in the book of Proverbs. Actually, as we think about the book of Proverbs, a bit of a helpful context piece for us to think of is the book is kind of divided in two sections, uh, actually three. The, the, the first section is chapters one through nine. Uh, they're written by Solomon, the king of Israel. And they're kind of longer discourses that he's uh, giving to uh, someone who's younger than himself. They're kind of like uh, lessons to a son. They're kind of like the blog posts of the book of Proverbs. And then in chapters 10 through 29, what we have are basically Solomon's, tweets. They're they're the little pithy sayings. They're the things that are memorable. You can put on a coffee cup. They're the kinds of things that parents would say to their children around the dinner table or before they went to bed or before they went off to school. The little pithy, punchy sayings. And then chapters 30 and 31 are Proverbs written by other people, and they're kind of a mix of also those, those longer blog posts and those shorter tweets. But we're going to be looking as as a pastoral team, as a preaching team at the book of Proverbs this summer. And uh, you're going to hear some sermons from those first nine chapters, the blog posts, some sermons from uh, those chapters and those those Proverbs in chapters 10 through 29, which are more of the tweets. Uh, And today we're actually going to be launching our series by by looking at the beginning of wisdom. So we're looking at chapter one in particular and verses one and verse seven are the ones we're going to narrow in on uh, the closest. But before we go there, it is helpful for us to remember a few things about what proverbs are and aren't. Proverbs are not laws. They're not saying thou shalt or thou shalt not. Uh, Proverbs aren't formulas. They're not guaranteeing that if you do this, you will get that. They're, They're They're not prophetic sayings of thus says the Lord. Proverbs are an accumulation of advice for how to live well and wisely in the world. And so as we go through the book of Proverbs, just keep that in mind, that what these are, are these are wisdom sayings for living well in the world. And for today, we're actually going to talk not about a piece of wisdom in particular, but about the beginning of wisdom that Solomon talks about. And we're going to have two main points. The first one is that the beginning of wisdom comes in fearing the Lord. And secondly, the beginning of wisdom comes with actually doing the things. So first, let's think about fearing the Lord. Proverbs 1, verse 1 starts this way. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So we're going to stop there. Let's just recognize that majority of the book of Proverbs is actually written by King Solomon. And Solomon is uh, one of the most famous sons of one of the most famous kings in all of Israel. The time of David and Solomon were considered the golden years of the the nation of Israel. Uh, Solomon's dad was, everyone loved David, right? So you can imagine growing up being Solomon and everyone loves your dad. He was like the Bucknam children, right? His dad, everyone knows King David, everyone knows his dad, and he's coming in to take over the throne from his father. And as he's coming into his his own role as king, uh, he he is asked by the Lord to do a few things. One of them is to actually oversee the building of the temple, the, the greatest single accomplishment of the people of Israel in terms of their own nation was the construction of the temple. And Solomon was the guy who got to to oversee that project. It happened under his reign. Not only that, though, the Lord came to him and he said, "What, what would you like from me? And Solomon actually asked God for, instead of asking for money or anything else, he came and he asked God, if you could just give me wisdom that's all I ask for when it comes to how I could be uh, the king following after my dad. And if you were following after King David, you'd probably also be asking for wisdom. That's a big shoes to fill. Here's actually how the Bible explains that interchange. The book of first Kings chapter four, verse 29 says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including the big names, like Ethan the Ezraite. He was wiser than even Heman and Calcol and Darda, the sons of Mahol. which, by the way, if you're trying to get through names in the Old Testament, just like saying with confidence and people be like, I guess that's how you say it. Good to know. His fame spread to, to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. The guy was prolific. His, the tweets were going out all the time. The songs were at the top of the charts. Everyone knew what he was writing. He spoke about plant life, which we might don't talk about as much, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds and reptiles and fish from all nations. People came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon was at the top of the game. See, wisdom was actually, wisdom literature was like a a field of study in the ancient world. So this was the kind of thing that other people and other nations were doing. And Solomon was at the very top of the heap. No one came close to Solomon in this, this field of study known as wisdom literature. So you need to imagine here, the scene is not actually that the book of Proverbs drops out of heaven in a vacuum unaffected by the rest of the world. Actually, the book of Proverbs comes through the Holy Spirit, through King Solomon, but he's he's affected by and impacted by the the people who are around him. This is a bit of a, it's like a, a field of study where other people are involved in it. So maybe think of it like this. Uh, imagine you're going to a conference to learn more about your, your particular area of work. So every few years, uh, myself and some other pastors, uh, we go to the Evangelical Theological Society Conference. It bounces around in different parts of the states, and uh, maybe one day, again, we'll be able to do something like a conference, who knows. But the point of the conference is to gather together voices of this field of study and to influence each other and critique each other and have conversations. One of the best part of the conference of the Evangelical Theological Society is the panel discussions, where you see these different people in their fields of study dialoguing together, debating with each other. And the most fun part of actually that whole process is when the event is over, the panel discussions over formally, the guys take off their microphones, and you can see them starting to interact with each other, right? That's probably when the real conversation takes place. They start talking to each other. They start asking questions. So you have to imagine to yourself, Solomon's at the top of his game in wisdom literature. He's at the top of the game in terms of providing proverbs for his people. Whenever anyone was trying to figure out how do we live wisely in the world they're thinking to themselves, we better call Saul. So they're at the top of the game, and Solomon is engaging with the people around him at the conference. And these guys around him, like Ethan the Ezraite, probably pulled him aside after a panel discussion and asked him the question, How do you do it? What's interesting, though, is that Solomon's words weren't necessarily so different from everything else that people were producing, but he was still seen as the best in the game. What what I mean by that is this. Even though Solomon was the expert in the field, and even though he was probably the number one most downloaded wisdom podcast of the ancient world, Israel's wisdom wasn't actually entirely unique in its content. Here's what I mean by that. I, I want to actually show two proverbial sayings side by side uh, for us to see kind of what I'm talking about. So here's Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six, which is a, a pretty popular, uh, well-known coffee cup verse of the Bible. Here's what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Now we could come to that and think to ourselves, that sounds like something totally unique. But actually listen to the words uh, of the Babylonian wisdom literature. These are the words of, of the goddess Gula who wrote these things about herself. She said, I bestow life on the one who reveres me and I make straight the path of the one who seeks after my ways. You can see as you're comparing them in uh, your mind there and as you can actually see the verses in front of you, that that the language of trusting the Lord and submitting to him sound a lot like revering the goddess Gula and seeking after her ways. And the promise of both the proverb and also from the goddess Gula is that if you follow, your paths will be made straight. Very similar sounding pieces of advice. And yet, Solon was seen as someone completely distinct and, and better than everybody else. That's why it would have been such a crazy thing for people as they would say to themselves, look, your stuff doesn't sound always altogether different from what the rest of us are saying, but how are you so much better at it than us still? That's where I think Proverbs chapter one, verse seven actually helps us understand that. Here's what Solomon writes. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. See the distinction Between Solomon and Israel's wisdom literature and the wisdom literature of the surrounding nations is not necessarily in its content, but in its God. For Solomon, he's saying everything that is needed for living well in the world to live truly as we were designed to live comes from flows out of a recognition of the God who is there of fearing the Lord. So what does it actually mean to fear the Lord? Well, the narrative of uh, the Bible can be summarized in, in maybe lots of different ways, but here, here's one way it can be summarized. That the Bible calls us to understand the grace that is provided for us and also to understand the call to allegiance that we need to make to the God who has offered us his grace. Grace is this understanding of, of receiving this unmerited Favor. We, we don't deserve anything good from this God because of the way we live and yet he pours out kindness to us. Solomon would have been self-aware of this. The reason why Israel is a nation, the reason why Solomon has a throne, the reason why he can look out his window and see the construction completed on the temple is because God in his grace saw these people struggling in Egypt and he saved them. From their oppression. Solomon in his best moments would have recognized. He's only in this seated throne because of the grace of the Lord. And he knows that God saved him by grace. And that he is now called to live in a particular way. He's supposed to follow after this God and pledge his allegiance. Not to a flag, but to a God. And that same message of God giving us grace even though we don't deserve it, of rescuing us from our oppression when we have no other hope is the same message of the New Testament where Jesus Christ comes and he offers us life and true life and true bread and true water and to satisfy our every need and we don't deserve it. And he also calls us to follow him, to pledge our allegiance to him. See, what makes the Proverbs distinct and different from the rest of the nation's wisdom literature is not in the content, but in the God that they're focused on, the God that they are living in light of, that that they recognize that there is a God who is there and this is the way that he has made the world to work. St. Augustine said these words. He said, I've read in Plato and Cicero sayings that are wise and beautiful, but I've never read in either of them. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, what's interesting about when it comes to living wisely in the world is not that Christianity has such distinct content. It's that our God is so different. It's that the God who has saved us into a relationship to live in the world that he has made is so different from all the other gods of the world. See, I think this is important for us to to think about because if we realize that ancient wisdom literature was actually a field of study in the ancient world, then that has implications for us today because we all have our different areas that we we are involved in, our our work, our our hobbies, our our activities, the different ways we can influence people. We we have all of those things. And and it's not always that the Christian way to do something looks so different in its content and form. Here's, Here's what I mean by that. If you're involved in the sciences, you're going to engage in those sciences not in a completely different way than everyone else. You're going to engage with them in a completely different starting point, saying, I actually believe that there is a God who is there who's made this world observable. If you're involved in in the arts or in music or dance or entertainment, the, the kinds of things you produce, the forms themselves are not always going to be altogether drastically different from the rest of the world. But the God who you recognize has given you the abilities to do it, the God who you are directing those abilities towards is so different. See, it's not so much that the content of what we do is so different. There's not, there's not a Christian way to cut the lawn. There's not a Christian way to, to send a tweet or to set up lights or cameras and say action. But there, are, there is a way to do it in light of the fact that the God who has made the cosmos has made you and given you the abilities and the desires to do these things for his glory in a way that is fearing the Lord. In a way that is mindful of the grace that's been given to you. In a way that is mindful that this grace now calls you to pledge your allegiance to him. See, what makes Christians and the people of God distinct is not always the content of what we provide, but the motivation for what we're doing it for. The source we rely on in our production of it. That's what happened with the book of Proverbs. Solomon engaged in the sphere of the ancient wisdom literature. He he mimicked and followed some of the forms, and he even deployed some very similar sayings, but he did it fearing the Lord. See, if we're going to understand how to live wisely in the world, if we're going to understand how to follow the advice of how to actually walk in the reality of how the world is made to function and how to live following the God who has made us and made this world, we have to live mindful of the fact that this God has shown us his grace and we are his people because of his grace. And he is a kind God who in his son says, come to me and you will actually find life, true life. And pledge allegiance to me. Follow me all the days of your life knowing that you don't live for yourself anymore. You actually live for the God who showed you that grace. The beginning of wisdom comes with fearing the Lord secondly the beginning of wisdom also comes with actually doing the things so we we know the beginning of Solomon's story we know that he came under the shadow of his dad we know that he thought to himself there's no way I can actually be the king of Israel if God doesn't give me some kind of miraculous gift of wisdom because I'm not as good as my dad is And God graciously gave him what he was asking for. And Solomon just shot up like a rocket in the ancient world. Everyone flocked to him. He was the man. He knew all the right answers. He had all the right theology. He knew all the things. And yet his story takes a dramatic and a terrible fall. Here's how it's described in the book of 1 Kings chapter 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them. Because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done on the hill east of Jerusalem. Solomon built a high place for Shamoth, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. The same Solomon who built the grand temple for the people of Israel built false temples for the false gods. He did the same for all his foreign wives. You want a temple? You got a temple you want a temple? You want Everyone gets a temple. He did the same for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. And the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. Look, so- Solomon was outrageously gifted by God in unparalleled ways. And yet this gifting from God did not actually prohibit his drifting from God. Solomon knew all the right answers. There was no one in the world who knew as much as Solomon did. And yet he didn't actually do what he said should be done. He said the right things, but he didn't actually do them. This is a word of caution and a word of warning and a word of instruction for us as Christians, especially as we come to a sermon series like the book of Proverbs. It is not enough to just know the right answers. We have to be the kind of people who, yes, we recognize that we don't deserve the grace of God, and yet he calls us to pledge our allegiance to him, to actually follow in the ways he's asking us to go. And the good news is that, look, you and I, we are going to mess up. We are going to fall. We're going to fail. There will be ways in which we live that don't accurately reflect our love for God and our allegiance to him. And isn't it good news that we have a savior who welcomes in the losers and the failures like you and like me back and says, I will accept you as many times as you return to me because you're my child and I love you. But that doesn't mean that that gets gets us off the hook of actually doing the things God calls us to do. Listen, listening to all the different wisdom literature and, and listening to all the wise sayings is nothing if we don't actually put into practice what we are hearing about. The book of James says it this way, don't merely listen to the word And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word. But does not do what it says. Is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself. Goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently. Into the perfect law that gives freedom. And continues in it. Not forgetting what they heard. But doing it. They'll be blessed in what. They do. See it is. Good news that we have a. Savior and a Lord who has come to rescue us from our sins. He he came to live. He came to die. He came to rise again from the grave. He now sits in a place of authority and he calls all to return to him, to put their faith in him, to pledge allegiance to him. He is the one that we look at and worship as he is crucified on the Mount of Crucifixion. He's the savior that we desperately need. He's also... The teacher who sits delivering the Sermon on the Mount tells us how now we actually live in light of the fact of who he is. In other words, we can't have Jesus as our Savior if we aren't actually willing to follow him as our Lord. He's our teacher. Our our life is to be lived in apprenticeship to him. So that as we grow older in the faith, the people who are around us can say, you look more and more like Jesus. Not, not in a perfected kind of way. We're never going to be able to actually live a perfect life. We are going to fail and Jesus is going to be there to pick us up. He's not just someone who loves us and, and is obligated to help us. He, he desperately, deeply loves you. Every time you fail, every time I fail, he is going to receive us back. And when he receives us back, he will look us in the eyes and say, I love you, follow me. It's not enough to just know all the right things. We have to actually be the people who are willing to do the things. See, we have a God who has graciously saved us that we do not deserve. And he calls us to pledge our allegiance ultimately to him. Because the reality is that there's all kinds of ways that you can live wisely in this world. You're gonna get lots of advice, there's gonna be lots of feedback, there's gonna be lots of options, lots of proverbs being thrown out about early birds getting the worm. But you don't actually reap the benefits of those wise sayings if we aren't actually willing to put in the work to do the things we're called to do. So that's my encouragement to us this summer. We're going to be spending the rest of our summer months looking at the book of Proverbs and hearing the wisdom that God has for us of how to actually live in the world that he has made. So, So let's commit ourselves today that as we go through this book, let's actually be willing to be the kind of people who don't just sit down and listen and learn the right things and be able to say the right things, but let's, by God's Spirit's help and empowerment, let's actually try to be the kinds of people who do the things we're called to do. And we can do them knowing that we have a Savior who is there with us every step of the way. He's already done the journey perfectly. All we have to do is follow him. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. I I thank you for uh, this book that we have in the book of Proverbs and the wisdom that we're going to be able to unearth from this book as we look at it and we hear what it has to say for us. Lord, we thank you that you worked by your spirit through Solomon to give us these sayings that are uh, unmatched in all the world. And Lord, I pray that by your spirit's power, you would actually give us the ability for your glory to not just hear what we should do, but actually be the kinds of people who do them in our everyday life. Lord, I pray that Northview Community Church and everyone who might be listening in, that the people who actually trust Jesus for their salvation, that by your spirit's power, you would help us look more and more like Jesus in our everyday life. Not because we can do it in our own power, but because you are glorious and powerful and you can do it and you will save many And you will use us as salt and light in the world as we follow in the ways of Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would do this for your glory and for our joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks, Pastor Greg, for that encouraging and challenging word. Another way we worship is by giving back to God with what he has so richly blessed us with. We are incredibly grateful for those of you who have continued to support and give to our church. If you're part of our church family, we ask that you continue to do that. But if you're a guest here today, please don't feel obligated. There are several ways to give. You can go to the website and press the button give. You can text give to the number on the screen, or if you prefer, you can come to our office at the Downs Road campus during our office hours. Now let's go back to Andrew and Shelby and continue in worship.
2: heart, displayed for us, oh God, we thank you for the cross. Lifted up on Calvary's hill, we cursed your name, and even still, you bore and peace.
0: this week, we'd love to leave you with a blessing from God's word, which comes from 1 Thessalonians. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Have a great week.